0: Good morning. Good to see you good people. Good to see you all. Uh, I'm going to ramble for a couple minutes um, and and then we'll we'll jump in. but I say that as in uh, we had a number of gatherings we did. Whatever one, Sunday, then Christmas Eve, and then the day after Christmas. And so that was lovely. And within that time, um, and and then including this morning, a couple anonymous gifts uh, were given, and people decided to be secretive. Uh, And so thanks to whoever. And thank you. Uh, for uh, and, and this was fun this morning, uh, a mug that says, love my pastor, very kind, and the fact that if I'm using it, uh, I get to think of all of you. Because in many ways, one, our, our staff, Sarah, Jess, Lisa, uh, Denny, and Bob, who are elders, which we don't talk a whole lot about. Um, but then you all get to function in many ways as my pastor in caring for me. So Uh, I'm grateful for that, grateful for you all, and to be able to share in community. It's really, really important, and it really, really matters that we do this together. So I'm really grateful for that and and the kindness, and I know my wife shared that a little bit uh, the other day as well. Um, This community, that we will get after things together and ask questions and wrestle and listen and try and kind of gather all the different perspectives and that we can do that. It is a really, really important and needed gift. Uh, It's a gift. And that we can be pliable of heart to both learn, be stretched, grow together. It's a big deal. And I'm grateful and I want more of it. And so we're going to continue doing that this this year. And then some, and pray and trust that God has got um, incredible things ahead for us. And I very much believe and trust that. Uh, and part of that is we're digging in to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're spending all of 2022, we will be walking through God, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And what, what you'll see, though, is we're going to do, uh, as we, a teaching team for Harvard Churches put together sections. Like as we go through, we section them off and there are themes that are all throughout it, and we break those themes into what we will we'll call series, but it's all going through Matthew. But this next section of teachings, we are calling Renew. Uh, and so, there is a Renew theme that is kind of within where we're at in Matthew. Uh, so, we're going to dig into that, so you'll see that over the next number of weeks. And then, we have a longer series, if you will, in Matthew that will take us the, this, um, the season known as Lent. So Lent is 40 days leading up to Easter, and so that series I'm really excited about, uh, and I had my hands and have had my hands in that one a bit more uh, within this, so that's a lot of fun, and I enjoy being able to do that with other pastors within Harbor, uh, that we get to do this stuff together. It's beautiful. So... Um, Within that, we're going we're gonna to jump in. We're going to be in chapter 4 to give you a heads up. So uh, if you want to turn with me to chapter 4, we'll have everything on screen of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and then uh, I'll do my best to just track with me because this teaching shouldn't be surprising, but it is deeply personal. And going over it, it's been like in so many ways as I'm putting it together for me, where I'm going, it's for me, it's for all of us, but boy has it just been speaking to me, I've needed it uh, desperately, deeply, uh, and because you'll see kind of at the heart of this thing, it's what happens and has been happening for thousands and thousands of years, why it's such a teacher, you go, this is what happens, and so what I've experienced even the last couple of weeks, what I've said out loud to a number of people is our society is still trying to catch up to the Bible. We see things happening, and you go, "Yeah, I know." Jesus talked about that two thousand years ago. We're so a we're not listening, or now we are listening, and well done, somebody is saying something, but it was said long ago. We're still trying to catch up. The Bible is so ahead. Uh, of us, and so it's a gift. As in the Bible, all of these writers, their experiences, they're giving us truth inspired by the divine. So, um, word of prayer, and off we go. Chapter four uh, Gracious God, bless you for this community, these folks here, and uh, then gathering online that we can be together. Uh, and uh, it is my prayer that we this year will find ways, we'll get creative in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of always the up and down. Um, that we will learn to be together more and more and more and be there for one another. And so it is my prayer that we can um, lean into one another, find ways to connect, raise our hand, ask for help, ask to connect, uh, and that we can do this together. Uh, God, because I I trust that you are up to something so magnificent. And uh, as you have been for eternity, You're making all things new. You're putting all things back together. Uh, It doesn't always look the way we think, uh, but you are. We trust that. And so we want to walk with you in that. And uh, so now, as we settle into this um, truth that you've been pouring out, uh, may our hearts be open and our minds be open to absorbing, receiving, and wrestling with that. And may then the words of my mouth posture of my heart. I I simply want to bring honor and glory to you, God. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So then, 2022. New day, new year, new start, fresh start, clean slate, just beginning. All these words I was typing down, it's all in front of us. It's a gift. It's beautiful. If you are here and you're feeling Right, 2022, and you're exhilarated and you're expectant, yes, what's ahead? Well, welcome. Uh, If you're feeling healed and hope-filled, lovely, welcome. If you come in here or are with us limping and feeling lost, welcome. If you are searching for belonging, welcome. If you come with piles of questions and all kinds of doubts, Welcome. It's all here and it all belongs. Welcome. As goes the new year custom, uh, whatever it looks like for you, we take time to what? Sketch out a new plan, a new frame for the new year ahead. And uh, we want to do that as well. My hope is that we'll hold the details loosely, right? We put together a frame, a plan, but we're going to hold the details loosely because we've lived through 2020 and 2021. So hopefully, dear Lord, I pray that we have learned to become a bit more pliable and that we will continue to do so. Uh, In order to sketch out a new frame, whatever your plan is, whatever we do, uh, we begin by reflecting on what was where we've been because our past holds significant markers of success and failure, all of which are a teacher, right? These are teachers, success, failures, teaching. So we want to take a next step. This frames really well with where we are heading in our next group of teachings for this study of Matthew. We're calling this Renew. It holds hands quite well with the idea of reflecting on what was and sketching a new frame for what will be or what we hope to be. So what I want to do to begin with is zoom out a little bit, and I want us to look at where we've been and then a little bit where we're heading because there's something much bigger going on. Uh, that, so it, it works really well. So first, where we've been. Uh, first slide. Where we've been, Jesus is born in Matthew, we see Jesus is born and he's born specifically contextually during the reign of Herod the Great. In his paranoia, Herod commands that all boys to and under be killed because he knows there's a threat that someone else is going to try and be king, he's told. The infant Jesus escapes to Egypt. Now, as an adult, Jesus goes through the baptism waters of the Jordan River What's ahead, what we're going to start today, and then we'll move on. But what's ahead then? Jesus is going to enter the wilderness, the desert, desert of Judea specifically, for 40 days and 40 nights to experience testing and temptation. After he leaves the desert, he's going to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. That'll be next week as well. Uh, or that's what will be next week. Kingdom of heaven, Matthew calls it. Kingdom of God, we'll go, well, what's going on there next week? Jesus is then going to call 12 disciples students. Jesus goes up on a mountain and gives a quintessential teaching, which begins with an overview using eight blessings or beatitudes, as we often call them. So, this is kind of the zoom out, and it's important that we do that to get a larger view of the story because Matthew is doing something here very brilliantly. And Matthew's Jewish audience would know exactly what he's doing, so it's really good for us to pick up on this as well. This is a prime example, what's happening here, of why I don't just say to people, well, just read your Bible. Because it's not that simple. And when the Bible is viewed or handled as pithy sayings or motivational models in order to kind of navigate cubicle land or whatever... Uh, we often end up with a transactional religion that can get all sorts of confusing and hurtful. So now to zoom out, and now we're going to look at some things to see what Matthew is up to, and hopefully there's this, oh, interesting thing that Matthew has been up to. So let's keep going. If we go out to the larger Hebrew scriptures, larger biblical narrative, it looks like this. Moses, going all the way back, Moses is born during the reign of a vicious Pharaoh. In his paranoia, Pharaoh commands that all Hebrew boys, two and under, be killed. Huh. Infant Moses escapes to Egypt. Moses leads the Hebrew people out of slavery as an adult then in, in Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, through the baptismal waters of the Jordan River. Moses and the Hebrew people enter the desert for how long? 40 years As a time of testing. Moses is going to organize 12 tribes. Moses goes up on a mountain and is given the law instruction to proclaim to the people. The law has an overview that we often call the Ten Commandments. Does this all sound really familiar? Matthew has structured his gospel so his listeners and readers will see Jesus as the new Moses. Except this, Jesus, is leading the people into a new exodus, which is a much bigger, wider, broader, deeper, far-reaching exodus. But there is a significant difference between Moses and the Hebrew people's journey and Jesus' journey. And that is where we'll begin with chapter 4. We're going to see some of that unfold. So chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was, and the, the, we'll get into all the key words. All of this will be key, what Matthew is doing, how he words it. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, desert, to be tempted, tested by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, jump, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil just quoted scripture. The devil knows scripture really, really well, sort of. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. There's a lot to unpack here. Matthew has used key terms to alert the reader that this story mir- mirrors and engulfs the central story to the Hebrew people, the Exodus. Exodus. There's all kinds of Exodus language in here, and it's specifically how that people became a community and eventually became a nation. Most of the key terminology will pop up as we unpack this, but I do want to uh, highlight one word to help us better understand how it's used all throughout Scripture, and that word is the devil. So, next slide, devil or diablos in Greek. The Hebrew word is ha-satan that means the Satan. But spe- and that's not even found, s- Satan. That's first found in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And if you go into your Bibles, First Chronicles is the last book in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's the first place the word Satan or the Satan, ha-satan appears. Now what it means is false accuser, it's a title, it's not a name, Uh, false accuser, so it's not Devil Williamson or Satan Johnson, it's a title, Uh, just so we're clear, that's weird, Uh, false accuser, slanderer, adversary to good, that's really important, that word good in the Hebrew is the word tov, T-O-V, tov which means becoming growing, maturing. Essentially, this is the adversary to growing up, to maturing, to becoming all that you were created to be. There is an adversary that opposes such growth. So then, within these 11 verses that we just read, brief 11 verses. We find Jesus as faithful, ready? And here's the important thing succeeding in the face of the accuser who went after Jesus in the same way the Hebrew people were attacked, if you will, but who failed in their faithfulness, in their trusting. Jesus succeeds where the Hebrew people failed. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to lead in Exodus 2, but I'll succeed where they failed." That's what's happening here in summary. We find Jesus quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. When he says it is written, and they're doing this back and forth, Jesus is quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, which Deuteronomy is reflecting on what took place in the Exodus. So, and in this, the the Exodus is how the divine led the Hebrew people through the desert and into the promised land. So, what Jesus first quotes is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. So, we'll look into this. Uh, It says, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember, ready, here we go, how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Does that sound familiar? How was Jesus led into the wilderness to be tested or tempted? Uh, To humble and test you. That's why they were led through the desert. It's to humble and test them, ready, to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Hey, if we're going to give you this land, if you're going to become a people, we got to know that you're prepared in your heart to be the kind of people that can do this. So this is what Jesus is quoting from is Deuteronomy. And so then when we look at how chapter four opens, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, tested, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and this is really, really important because they, back there, they didn't have Apple Watches. I think you know that. Uh, So they didn't obsess about time. In Scripture, numbers are far more symbolic. So when we see, oh, 40 years, they were led through the desert, and then it says 40 days and 40 nights, what the listener hears is 40, and they match them up. And they don't obsess about the times. Was it 40 or was it 41 days? 40 years? Was it 40 years and 13 days? They would be like, what are you... T- oh, that's hardly... We're after meaning. We're not trying to do the m- mathematics. They're like, we're, we're, we're telling a story with meaning here. So 40 days, 40 nights, 40 years. Great, 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 great. Meaning is the point. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 then. And now we get to... So more, he humbled you, the Lord, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you, you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you, and this is what Jesus quoted, that people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Why it was important to back up and see all that was leading into it, because we get the context and see what is being said. The people did not make the bread They didn't buy the bread. They didn't earn the bread. They didn't win the bread. And then when you look in Exodus uh, 8 verses 16 to 18, you can read that when you get home, it highlights, it says, oh, by the way, the ability to do the work that you do comes from God. So if you're like, yeah, but I worked really hard. Yeah, you did. And where did you get that? Skills, brains, ability? God. And it's like, they're just explaining that. The manna, was provided as pure gift. It was grace from the divine. And feeding the manna was a teaching. Them, it wasn't just about like, hey, let's get you bread so you have sustenance. Yes, that's important, but it's also a teaching. It was never necessarily about protein. It's about the one who is the trustworthy provider of the sustenance. Trust is the foundation. Do you trust that God continues to meet your needs? What you need you are provided for. Please don't miss out the one who is doing this and get caught up on what is being done only. In this Deuteronomy passage, is reflecting on the story that took place in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, all the way through seventeen seven. Again, you can go right and read that. It's stories of the people grumbling and complaining, are the two words, to Moses and subsequently the divine about food and water. They complain. We don't have water. Okay, now we have water. We don't have food. Now we have food, but this food's getting a little boring. And it's like Moses is pulling his hair out going, I don't know what to do with these people. They're complaining, grumbling and complaining. It's never enough. And there's not trusting like I'll always provide. So this Deuteronomy section that we went in is about remembering how the divine was faithful and provided, but it was far more than just bread and water. It was about sustaining a people, carrying them through grace. Don't forget that. Don't forget that is how it begins. And guess what they did? They forgot that. They did not trust. Yet here in Matthew's gospel, Jesus trusts. He succeeds where they failed. He trusts. Next, Jesus is brought to a pinnacle on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and he is challenged to, and these are the key things, jump, throw yourself down here, and then we see the accuser quote scripture. What the accuser is quoting is Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Although it is quoted, get ready, this is so great. The the accuser quotes scripture out of context. Come on. Out of context, so we're going to back up a few verses, two verses, to catch what the psalm is actually about. Psalm 91 verse 9 we'll begin with then. If you say, so this is the whole point, if you are someone who's like, God is my refuge, God is my foundation, God is my center, God is my baseline, and make the most high your dwelling. This is where I'm centered. This is where I live from. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command, and then we get to this, his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The psalm then is not about jumping, And testing to see if the divine will catch you. It's about dwelling with and living from a place rooted in the divine. So when storms come, which they will, or you fall, which you will, and I will, there is security in the divine. Are you with me? You see how different that is? Very different understanding. Satan says, jump, test. God, and quotes the Psalm like, "See, well, you'll be caught." But the context is, if you make God your foundation, when you fall, you will have security in the One. Different thing. How many people have said, and and we have this. I was talking to somebody earlier this week, and they're like, "Did you hear about this pastor in Kentucky that, in front of his congregation, was playing with snakes, got bit and died, and said he wouldn't, but he did." And like, and this is happening, what, testing, like, well, we can do this. That's testing. That's not, that's like going, I can run into oncoming traffic and God will save me. I, you can run into oncoming traffic and a car will hit you. That's what happens. That's not, that's, te- that's very different than being, you know, grounded and rooted in Christ. Are we getting that difference? But you see how it gets um, funkified. <laughs> Satan twists that. Well, you should jump. You should test God. You'll be caught. I just, you want, like, in parentheses, Jesus to go, Oh, you're using the text out of context. And that's a pretext for chaos. Yeah, that'll be my translation at some point. <laughs> uh, finally, The accuser takes Jesus to a mountain to look over all these vast kingdoms, all of which he could have, Jesus could have if he would simply bow down to him. It's this odd thing. Jesus responds with another reflection in Deuteronomy about the Hebrew people's time in the desert. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 13 of Hebrew, revere the Lord. Fear as in a reverence and awe for the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. That's what Jesus quotes. Because, why? Contextually, in Exodus 32, we read about how the Hebrew people grew impatient, so they constructed a a calf out of gold and then worshipped it, which is simply a precursor for the many times they would turn to other gods and things and worship it other than the divine. Because God, the divine, didn't act as they wanted in their timing. And so then they'd start doing this. And so then Jesus is quoting scripture saying, yeah, no, 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 we worship God alone because we know the temptation is do it as I want, or I'm going to hit the eject button, I'm going to wander, I'm going to do these other things. That's the context. Well, I would say it is they, the Hebrew people, were deceived toward greed rather than need, which led them to fail in imaging the divine to the wider world. They then failed in imaging the likeness, the goodness of God, which, which what they were called to do. You will be a priestly nation. You are to image God to the world and let the world know what God is like. But you can't do that if you're going to run around with all these other false things. This leads me to think of three incredibly intelligent people who lived in the 19th century and who were hugely influential on the world. They each offered a critique of Christendom because all three of them were suspicious, get this, that people could be truly motivated by the love of God and love of neighbor. They were like, I don't think there is a genuineness there. I wonder, I question that. So these three very intelligent people had some thoughts on that. One of them said our motives are mostly about money. Nineteenth century, by the way, is where we're at. One of them said our motives are mostly about sex. One of them said our motives are mostly about power. All three of them had plenty of examples to aid their hypotheses. And if we can humbly acknowledge that today, now, what are the three maybe most common stumbling blocks found splattered all over the media of high-profile leaders, including church leaders, what might they be? Money, sex, and power. Or abuse and misuse of power, better said, right? So hopefully, our current reality, we go, oh, they kind of nailed it. At least there, they kind of nailed it. And that's really important for us to step back and go, oh, they were right. Because our dualistic reaction, when we hear the names of who they are, might go, can't, can't, they can't, they can't be right. When we hear the names Karl Marx, Sigmund Freud, and Friedrich Nietzsche. Because they either have to be right or they're wrong. Maybe they were right about this, and maybe they were wrong about other things. But I think they nailed this. Correct. But we tend to like put up a wall when we hear no, no, no. Rather than oh wow, that's really good. I, I got to ask more. I got to understand. Ooh, they got that one right. Been better if we would listen, pay attention, rather than just dismiss and go no. It's all or nothing. You're out wisdom has been offered. When we take the time and effort to learn and grow, it can lead us to give a deeper attention to what the accuser was trying to test and tempt Jesus in. The first two attempts are with the words, if you are the son of God. That's what the accuser said. If you are the son of God, turn stones into bread, jump and have God catch you. Use your power to prove, which is actually, right? This, use your power to prove this. Well, that's actually about serving the ego then, the self. Jesus use, Jesus, use your powers for your own selfish thing here to prove. It's playing on the ego. The third accusation is an invitation to bow to the accuser and supposedly be given more, ready, power, over people. You could have more power if you would bow to me. The accuser then, and this is where the whole thing rides on, the accuser is going after Jesus's identity. If I can get you to a doubt your identity as the son of God, as a child of God, if I can get you to doubt that I'm in, The accuser is trying to distract Jesus from the already given answer to the questions. Questions we need. Here are the questions. Who am I? Where do I belong? And what do I have to do to be loved? These are the questions out there, but Jesus has already got the answer to those. I am a child of the divine. I have always and will forever belong. There is nothing for me to do to earn this. In trusting this truth, Jesus can simply say, yet powerfully respond with, away from me, Satan. You're lying. What you're saying is not true. It isn't good. Away from me. I know my identity As the Son of God, I know who my foundation and center is. For me, the movie that best depicts the tension and challenge in this is a movie called Last Days in the Desert. Anyone? Last Days in the Desert, it's about this story, the temptation. Jesus' 40 Days and Nights in the Desert, I think it came out four years ago. Actor Ewan McGregor, uh, some of us know him as Obi-Wan Kenobi from the Star Wars movies or whatever. Really good actor. He plays Jesus and the accuser. In the movie, the accuser is first a voice, Ewan McGregor's voice. Then the voice appears and it's Ewan McGregor and begins to have a face-off with Ewan McGregor. I, we have a picture? Yeah. This a little bit from the movie. It was like this thing, and you see this. I found the artistic creativity with doing this to be really brilliant and helpful in naming the voices, like showing the voices trying to deceive us because for some of us, maybe the voices that we hear sound a lot like our own, right? For me, it can be like, ooh, really, Wally? Wally? Are you sure about that? I don't know. Do you really think you're smart enough? I don't know. Do you really think you're good enough? Do you really think you can do? Do you really? Come on. Who are you? You really think you belong? I don't think you belong. You probably should do some things, otherwise they might not think you're smart or good or kind. You You better prove it. You better do some hoop jumping. Maybe for you, it's other voices. Maybe for you, it is other people who speak into your lives and say, really? Really? Is it really? Prove it. Prove it. And, And you and I have to discern whether or not the voice is spirit, Holy Spirit, or is this an accuser? Are you with me? Either way, what's interesting is it's rarely a big outlandish tempting, rarely, because sometimes it certainly is, but it's more often, I would say, the small and simple suggestions or invitations. A voice distracting us to the point where we try and prove by our own strengths and ways. We try and take control to win or prove or earn. And maybe we bend our character a little or flex a little bit more power. Or we try and accumulate a little bit more so we can be right. Maybe we can be on top or we can seem stronger or more capable. I'd say this, we try and flex capability rather than trust and rest in our true identity. This is the words that I was just sitting on. It's, it's, it's easier to do that. It's, it's easier to try and flex capability and keep everyone at bay thinking things rather than, oh no, my, this is, no, I don't have to earn it. No, this is. I'm I'm rooted in Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm created by the divine. This is who I am, and I am loved, and I belong. And I'm sorry if you don't think that. I'm sorry if you are doubting that. Because underneath everything, the accuser is doing is a single question: Can you trust the divine? Can you trust the divine? Can you trust God? That was the assault brought on Jesus and it's the question in the air for us today. I would argue it's the most important question that you will answer. We read about people grasping or chasing more power all throughout the biblical narrative in order to be self-reliant, just in case. From Adam and Eve right up to Jesus in the desert, the question is whispered, can you really trust the divine? Is the divine holding out on you, Adam and Eve? Are you kind of, it's, I think you're being withheld from. I think you could have more. I think you could do more. I think God's holding out on you. What do you think? You should probably try and grab it and grasp it for yourself. Because I don't know that you can trust the divine. If you really are the Son of God, then you'll do something to prove it. So where does Jesus respond and live from? The verse before we enter chapter 14, Matthew 3:17, where we were, says this, and a voice, and this was at his baptism scene, and a voice from heaven said, this is, is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased Jesus hasn't taught anything he hasn't healed anyone he hasn't done anything that we have in the text nothing this wasn't about earning gaining winning you have a father saying to the son you are my child period i love you period So the very next step, Jesus is being led by the Spirit. Next verse, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested or tempted by the devil. Jesus knows he can trust his foundation. This grounding truth that he is a child, he is a son of God, he is the child of the divine, period. Period. I can trust that. I was just told that. I've been affirmed in that. I will live from that place. Trust is the hinge on the door of our heart, making it possible to be open for receiving and giving love. That's why trust is really hard. Because trust is that hinge on the door that allows your heart to open and both receive love and give love. And when trust is broken, then what do we end up doing? We're closed off, we're shut tight. Take trust out of the equation and it breaks down the first and greatest of commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Trust is not there, it's really hard to love God, really hard to love your neighbor in a world that has worked really hard at designing and operating a global echo chamber of mistrust. Discovering or rediscovering our identity as the divine, in the divine, is everything. Our identity in the divine, of the divine, it's so important. Pastor, writer, and theologian Henry Nouwen said it well. Next slide. Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, Called the beloved from all eternity and held safe in everlasting belief. I am a child of the divine, period. Because divine worth is found in identity, not in capability. And this just hits home because you'll be, a, you'll be and I'm okay using the words, you'll be attacked. I will be attacked. You will have people come at you, questioning you, doubting you, accusing you. This is not a quick fix for the broken. It's a lifetime of choosing time and time again to trust the divine as our center, to grow in wisdom and truth. Because you and I are constantly confronted with these questions Who am I? Where do I belong? What do I have to do to be loved? Church, family, may your humble yet powerful response to these questions be, I am a child of the divine. I have always and will forever belong. And there is nothing for me to do to earn this. May you choose to trust and live from this truth. you join me in some prayer and then we'll reflect in song. Gracious God, bless you for being our center. Trust you for loving us, taking care of us, holding us, encouraging us, affirming us, And being your kids, I bless you, God, for that. That as we've said time and time again, in you, in Christ, there are no outsiders. We we belong with you and to you. You don't make mistakes. You created us to become more and more what you created us to be. You created each person here. May they feel your love now. May we experience and absorb your love, your affirmation, your words. Here's my kid whom I love. May we hear that the depths of our being. May we live from this place. May this trust in you be the trampoline that we jump off from. Your love, belonging. I bless you, God, for this truth that it was written down, recorded, shared, taught, given time and time again. Because we need it now, today, more than ever. I need it now, today, more than ever. We need this. To know whose we are. To know that we belong. To know that we are loved. And that's our identity. Not based on capability. So we can label and shove people aside push people down, keep people out, keep them over there, keep us over here. But we can be open to you, our creator. May our hearts be open, may our minds be open. May we invite you in, may we live from you so that we can learn over and over how to be loved and then how to give love from this place of belonging. We bless you, God, and we pray this in the name of Christ Jesus.